So, um, let me start by reading something. Um, it's in Matthew, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 6. Cool. Okay, so reading from verse 31, if you want to follow it. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow... For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. These are the words of Jesus. He's uh, talking in the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of his most famous teachings that he did. Um, And we're going to dive into this passage uh, in a little bit and kind of unpick it. Um, And we're also going to look at a few other passages, among which is Philippians 4, um, which I think is really interesting that God's just bringing that to our attention this morning, the same passage that Chris shared. Um, but I want to start off by, by sharing a story from my own life. Um, and this isn't a, a finished story, what I want to share this morning. It's kind of a work in progress. It's something I'm still learning about. You know, I've still got uh, a way to go in walking through this. But I want to share it because it's real for me, and I feel like God's uh, speaking something through it to all of us. Um, so last summer, um, seems like a long time ago now, uh, Jane and I got married, as many of you know, and it was wonderful, it was a great time, and we went away to honeymoon, and you know, it was brilliant, and anyone who's done anything like that, you'll know that it, it feels like a whirlwind, it's almost like you're looking back, you're like, did that really happen? Was that really, you know, this life, was that real? Um, and we arrived back from honeymoon, um, and I went straight into a new role at work, um, which is great. It was a promotion, which is, which is fantastic. Grateful to God for that. But it was full of unknowns. It was full of questions and uncertainties. And it, it wasn't comfortable. Um, I would say it was out of my comfort zone, this new role. Um, and it was going to be a challenge for me. It was going to be a stretch for me. I knew that it was God that had opened this up and given me this opportunity but I didn't feel entirely confident. I didn't feel like, you know, I can absolutely do this. This is going to be amazing. Um, so I came back, and, and I had a week at work, and then we had another uh, time away booked. It was a weekend away uh, with family and friends. We were at a, a conference somewhere, and, and I'd always been looking at my calendar, and I was like, oh, fantastic. We'll go away. We'll get married, you know, go to honeymoon, come back. I have a week of work. You know, I'll be able to find my feet, get settled, and then we'll have another nice break. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be fantastic. A nice refreshing break um, in Harrogate. And it, it was great. It was nice. You know, we had a great time away. But I found myself at the end of that weekend, I was sitting on Harrogate uh, train station platform, holding a cup of coffee, um, waiting for a train to take me back to London for a shift at work. And, uh, and I felt something inside of me that I hadn't felt for a long time. It was kind of like a, like a dull sadness 
is how I describe it. Almost like a, you know, not sort of a, a full-on panic, but just this kind of sadness inside of me. I was like, God, what, what's that about? Where did that come from? Um, and, and, you know, I was pondering it. It felt like there was kind of a weight just pulling down on my insides. Um, you know, a while ago, I used to experience that kind of emotion quite regularly. Um, I struggled with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, for 16 years. And uh, I, I was quite accustomed to feeling anxious or feeling sad or feeling a sense of dread. And so when this came, sitting on that train platform, I was like, God, where, where did this come from? This doesn't seem, doesn't seem right. Those moments had been rare um, for the last four or five years. And as I traveled home on that train and, and pondered this before God and was asking him about it, I just felt him gently impress upon me this question. Are you living in the present? Are you living in the present? And that's kind of the question I'd like to ask all of us this morning. Are we living in the present? Are we really living in the present? You know, we had a great honeymoon. We had a great time away, great wedding. Um, and we had this, this weekend away booked, and it, it was fantastic. But after that, there was just a blank space in my calendar. And I, I kind of started to panic. It was like I had all this stuff to look forward to, and then nothing. Just this endless chasm of work. Um, of, of unknown, you know, what could happen? I could fail. I could completely do a terrible job. Um, all of this stuff could go wrong. And there was nothing to grab onto. There was nothing to latch onto, nothing in the future that I could say, ah, if I just hold on a bit longer, I've got this, and I've got this. It just felt like this, this empty thing. Now, I realize, you know, this may seem trivial. Um, I realize there are people in, in far worse situations, people with more stressful jobs. Um, I'm not a rocket surgeon. Um, as I think George Bush once, once said. Um, I, I was physically healthy, you know. I wasn't facing any illness or any physical pain. I wasn't facing exams. You know, I realized there, there are people maybe facing financial pressures, all those kind of issues. But I share this story because the emotion was real. Regardless of what it was about, that emotion was real. It's something I was really feeling. Um, and as I continued to ponder it and, and talk about it with Jane into the week and, and that kind of thing, I, I started to realize that actually for most of my life, I'd lived this way. I'd struggled to be in the present. I'd not been focusing on, on what was right in front of me. Um, I remember a story that my parents once, once told me when I was four years old. I think it was four years old. I don't know if they know what story I'm going to tell. Um, basically, we used to, every year we used to go away for Christmas to my grandparents in Lincolnshire, and I used to love it, and I used to look forward to it like any kid, just looking forward to the, the Christmas holidays, and it was amazing. And, and this one year, they were strapping me into the car, and we were just about to, to drive away for the Christmas holidays, and I was just looking really, really sad and really down. And, and my parents were like, Jeremy, what's wrong? We, you know, it's the Christmas holidays. You've been looking forward to this. It's amazing. And I said, well... As soon as we leave, I know that's the beginning of coming home. <laughs> and I've realized that actually for most of my life, I've missed what's happening in the present because I'm looking ahead to something that's happening in the future or that I think might be happening in the future. Or maybe I'm looking back to the past and, and something that's happened or something that I'm ashamed about or guilty about or that I wish didn't happen. Or maybe even something good that happened in the past. I'm, I'm being nostalgic and I'm just dwelling on the past and living in the past and not really moving forward into the future. 
Um, there's a point in Jesus' life when, uh, in his ministry, and the Pharisees come up to him, and they, they start questioning him. And they say, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Now, the Pharisees, they were teachers of the religious law, and their whole life revolved around commandments. It was all about what can we do to get to God, to please God? What's the best way that we can do that? And they're obsessed with these commandments. What can we do? And so they go to Jesus, and they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? They think this is their ticket to you know, eternity. And, um, and Jesus replies, um, it's in Mark 12, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment. And the second one, which is you should love your neighbor, is, um, is there as well. And, and really, these two ideas, these two commandments, they should be the plumb line for everything we do. Um, these should be the basis against which we, we judge how we're living, how we're relating to God. Are we loving him with all of our being? And contained in this idea is the concept there, that there are these parts of our being that make up who we are that can operate somewhat independently. So you've got the heart. We've got the soul. We've got the mind. And we've got our strength. So if you like, these things, they make up who we are. Um, but they can operate um, independently. And God began to show me as I, I, I pondered this, that actually the only place that we can do this, that we can love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, in fact, the only place we can really be with God with all of our being is in the present. And I just I want to illustrate that briefly. I want to um, grab some chairs. So if we imagine this chair over here, um, this represents the future. Over here we've got past. And I have some visual aids for this as well. So there's our past. There's a future. And right here in the middle got the present, so hopefully this will stick on. Cool. So we've got our past, future, and the present. Now, God is, as we know, he's beyond time. So he's like the air in this room. Um, you can't pin him down to any one of these spaces. He's, he moves in between all of them. But we human beings, we're not quite as clever as that. We haven't invented time travel. So there's only one place that our bodies can be, and that's in the present at any one time. But sometimes my mind can be off in the future. So my mind can be off dwelling on the future, but my, my strength, my body, which represents my strength, can't get there with my mind. So my strength is stuck here in the present. So there's a, a division there. Do you see that? Or sometimes my mind or maybe my heart, you know, my emotions, my desires could be in the past. But again, my, my strength can't get there to be with it. That's why I have phrases like, um, she really set her mind to it. She didn't just do a task, but she really got her mental resources and put it to the completion of the task. Or his heart wasn't really in it. He was present, he was doing something, but his heart was was somewhere else. There's this division that can happen with these parts of our being, but Jesus says what we have to do is we have to gather all of these aspects of who we are and set them on loving God 
and loving other people. And the place that that happens is in the present. And what that means is there's something incredibly powerful and special and unique and significant about the present moment of our lives. C.S. Lewis calls the present the point when time touches eternity. It's the place where we act. It's the place where we make decisions, where we experience God's empowering grace. It's the place where miracles happen. It's a place where we pull our heart, soul, mind, and strength together towards a purpose. And Jesus so beautifully sums that up with this command. That purpose is simply, is not to do a bunch of stuff. It's to love God. It's to love God and it's to love other people. You know, we don't want our mind, will, and emotions to be preoccupied with the future that we can't control or a past that's already happened. We want to be right here with God, getting his perspective and his power to aid us in what we're going through. I want you to, to picture something. Imagine I'm walking down a street in a town somewhere, London, I don't know, and I'm, I'm hungry, it's about lunchtime, and I need to get something to eat. And so what do we do nowadays? We get our phones, and we go on Google Maps and type in places to eat, and it pops up with all these suggestions of places you can go to eat. And so on this street, imagine uh, down the road, there is a speciality coffee shop. Um, Now, I love coffee. There are two food and drink radars I have in life. And the first one is speciality coffee. Wherever I go, Jane can tell you this, I seem to zone in on the coffee shops. I don't even have to try. It's like they they find me. Um, (laughs) She's convinced that I'm I'm looking up beforehand and planning where we go based on where the coffee shops are. But I'm not, honestly. We just go to places and suddenly there's an amazing coffee shop. Happened in Harrogate. Um, as well. Incidentally, one of the best coffee shops in the country is in Harrogate. Anyway, so up ahead, there is a speciality coffee shop. They do amazing hand-brewed drip coffee and, you know, amazing food and stuff like that. So that's up ahead. The second food and drink radar I have in life is uh, shawarma. I don't know if anybody knows about that. Shawarma is basically, it's like a Middle Eastern kebab, right? It's kind of marinated meat. You can get it chicken or lamb, and you put it in a wrap, and you get, like, pickles, and, all, and it's just, it tastes incredible. It's, it's so, so good. Um, they have it in blue water if you, if you ever want to <laughs> go there and try it. Um, so anyway, on my app, I've got, I've got a coffee shop up ahead, and then behind is a shawarma place. Um... And in the middle of the street is a place called uh, Sleazy's Calf. Okay? Now, I've got nothing against you know, greasy spoons. You know, I love a good fried breakfast, but Sleazy's Calf is not a nice place at all. If you think you know, food hygiene rating, probably minus figures. You know, you've got <laughs> insects keeping you company while you're, while you're eating. It's not the kind of place you want to spend a lot of time. So I've got coffee up ahead. I've got shawarma behind. I've got Sleazy's Calf in the middle. Now, where am I going to go? It's going to be either the coffee or the shawarma. No question. You know, there's no question. It's going to be one of the two. I'm probably going to really struggle to decide which one and, you know, deliberate over it and weigh it up and, and spend ages trying to decide. But it's going to be either coffee or shawarma. But then I want you to imagine that for some reason, Jane is sitting in Sleazy's calf. Now... <laughs> Um, 
if Jane is sitting in Sleazy's calf, without thinking, in an instant, I'm going to go there. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to go to Sleazy's calf. I'm going to, you know, forget the best coffee, forget the most amazing, tender, spice-infused meat. Um, forget those two things. I'm, I'm going to be in Sleazy's calf. I don't care, because Jane's there, and I get to be with the one I love. And I think it's a bit like that with us and God. The future may look amazing. We may have this amazing plan of what's going to happen, this amazing picture of, if only I get there, I get to that holiday, or, or get this money, or these possessions, or you know, when we get the house renovated, everything will be amazing. And the past may carry precious memories that we never want to forget. And the future may look grimy, horrible, the last place we want to be. The, the present, sorry. But that's the place we get to be with God. That's the place we get to be with all of our beings, heart, soul, mind, and strength, with the one we love, the one who created us, our Father. And I want my heart to be in such a place that no matter what is going on in my present moment, I am going to choose that over trying to escape to the future or escape to the past, out of worry or, or whatever it may be. I want to choose the present moment. So what kind of things pull us out of the present? What kind of things tempt us to move either to the future or the past? I've narrowed it down to two. I think, number one, worrying. And number two, wishing. These are the two things that I think tempt us to, to move either forwards or backwards in our thinking, in our heart, in our emotions. And... Um, Often they're closely related. I want to illustrate using the Harrogate example. I'm sitting on Harrogate train platform. And so I'm there, you know, my body's there. I'm holding my coffee, waiting for the train. But I'm worrying. I'm worrying about my job. I'm worrying about the future. So my mind is off in the future. Ah, what's it going to be like? It could be terrible. You know, have they got the wrong guy? You know, am I going to be able to do this job as well as they think I'm going to be able to do it? I'm worrying. And because I'm worrying, I then start wishing I could be back on holiday. And I'm like, oh, I should have booked an extra day off. Why did I do this? It was so stupid, booking an early train back. You know, I should have had another day off, had time to relax. You know, the rest of my family, they're staying on for another day in Harrogate. I could have just stayed with them. You know, it, it would have been amazing. But then I realized I can't do that. I'm sitting on the train platform. I have a shift at work to get to. And so then I start wishing that I had another holiday off in the future. Ah, oh, if we could only book another weekend away, you know, in like a couple of months' time, it'd be amazing, you know, we, we can go somewhere nice, and, you know, I can just about carry, carry on in work. I can, you know, even if it's terrible, I can just about manage it and get to that weekend away, and it's going to be really great. But then I realize I can't do that, and so I start worrying again. And this describes a little bit of what was going on inside of me on that train platform. Very dramatic, I know, but... I'm sure some of us can identify with that kind of thinking. In the midst of all of this, hat moving, I was missing the very real truth that God's presence and his peace were waiting for me right here in the present. If only I would pull all of my being to where my body was dwelling. 
Let's return to the verse we started with. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I want to look for a bit of this word anxious, because it's really, really interesting. And as many of us know, the the New Testament wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek. And sometimes you come across a word, and when you look it up in Greek, it just opens up a whole new understanding of what that word really means. And this is one of those words. And uh, Neil gave a talk uh, a little while before Christmas, and he, he highlighted this as well. And, um, and I think it's really, really helpful. This word anxious is actually a word. It's called merim now. It's a Greek word. And this is the, the dictionary definition that the internet told me. It says, properly, drawing in opposite directions, divided into parts, or to go to pieces because of being pulled apart in different directions. That word of being anxious actually means being pulled apart. I I just think that's very interesting in the light of what we're talking about. And when I look at Jesus speaking to his disciples and saying, guys, don't be anxious about tomorrow. has enough worries of its own. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. I can see him almost pulling his disciples back into the present moment. He's like, guys, you're worrying about what you're going to wear what you're going to eat, you know, substitute for that, whatever issues are going on in your mind. You're worried about all of these things. But be in the present. There's enough going on in the present. Don't get torn apart by worry. But be, be focused on the present. And I, I realized I'd, I'd not been doing this most of my life. When things were difficult, I convinced myself that they'll be all right when the next thing comes. You know, the next holidays, you know, the place at the secondary school I wanted to go to, and then, you know, those grades, that university place, you know, oh, when I'm married, everything will be fine. When we get renovated, everything will be fine. And you just keep adding something to that list. And when things in the past have been difficult or painful, or I'd done something that I know I shouldn't, made a mistake, I'd be preoccupied with that. I'd be replaying it again and again and again. Who's ever experienced being powerless to act in the present? Because you're either preoccupied with something that's already happened or with something that might happen. Or maybe you're simply trying to escape what's happening right now and you're imagining something in the future. We've already heard this passage today and I feel like there's something really significant about it that God wants to draw attention to. Philippians, this is Paul speaking. Um, And he's actually writing from prison, which is interesting. Um, He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Such a powerful passage. Got the word anxious again. It's the exact same word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. It's that merim now word, being torn apart. But what's Paul's response to this anxiety? First of all, the Lord is at hand. He's here. He's right here. He's closer than your breath. Don't be anxious. The Lord is at hand. He's in touching distance. There's something else that that I found really interesting when I was looking at it. There's this word peace. The peace of God which passes all understanding. And this is one of those other interesting Greek words that opens up new meaning when you look at it. And I really want to show you what it means. It's a word called a rene. And look what it means. It says, from airo, to join 
or tied together into a whole, properly wholeness, i.e. when all essential parts are joined together. How amazing is that? We can see the peace of God, this Irene peace, this wholeness of God, is the antidote to the anxiety that Jesus talked about, that Paul talked about. When we feel like we're being torn apart, when we feel like our mind is half in the future, half in the past, and we're struggling to be in the present, God says, guys, there is this peace that I have to offer you that will bring your heart, soul, mind, and strength together. We don't have to rely on our own strength to do that. We can be whole in God's peace if we cry out to him, if we entrust our worries and our concerns to him. He will give us this peace. The peace of God is not just a fuzzy feeling. It's not just this, this sensation we experience. It's something tangible. It's a power that brings our being into one. And he offers that to us. We're called to live our lives in the present. We're called to say, God, let your kingdom come right here, right now, in this present situation, this conversation, this opportunity to serve, this bus journey. Because when we live in the present, empowered by God, we see problems as opportunities for breakthrough. If we're wanting to escape, if we've got that forward and backward thinking, then when we see a problem, we want to step around it. I'll just wait until this happens, or if only I'd done this. Or if I could just move things around in this way, maybe I can, I can step around it. But that's not what the kingdom is about. Jesus said time and time again, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right now. It's right here. We can see it. We can touch it. It's meant to be experienced. It's not just a theory. It's not something just to be longed for. We can know the kingdom right now. And I don't want my body to be sitting on a train platform or sitting on a bus with my mind elsewhere. I want to be in tune with what God is saying. Saying, Lord, how might you use me right now? What have you got for me to do right now? Does this mean we can never look forwards or backwards? No, it doesn't. But I want to say there's a difference between looking forwards into the future and back into the past as a means of trying to escape and doing that from the perspective of God's presence right here and right now. Because if we're escaping to the past out of nostalgia, or if we're turning things over and over in our head out of shame or guilt, that's not what God wants for us. But if we're standing in the present saying, Lord, from this place of your presence, I want to consider the past, then he burns away everything that's hurtful and painful, and he empowers us to give thanks and to learn from what has happened. In the same way, if we're escaping into the future because we don't like the present, that's not God's desire for us. If we're worrying about the future because we think there's something terrible that's going to happen, then again, that's not God's best. But when we engage with the future from the reality of God's presence, it's called vision. It's called prophecy. It's called strategy. It's called hope. And we're called to live in this place. And it's how Jesus lived when he walked this earth. So many examples in Jesus' ministry of of when this happened. He's standing on a mountaintop, surrounded by thousands and thousands of people. It's been a long day, and everyone's tired, everyone's hungry. They're miles from any town. It's a problem. But did he spend his time worrying about what they should have done, how they could have planned better? 
Did he escape that moment? No, he said, there's a kingdom solution for this problem right now. And he fed everybody with a small amount of food. Or what about, you know, they're in the boat and, and they're going across the lake and a storm rises and the disciples think they're, they're going to die. And it's so real to them. And yet Jesus doesn't wish that he'd looked at the weather forecast better. He has a kingdom solution right now in that moment. And he calms that storm. And there's that story of, you know, when the, the leader of the temple comes to him and, and says, Jesus, my daughter's on the brink of death. She's sick and she's going to die. And he starts making his way to the house. And, and we know that Jesus has the power to heal. We know that he's, uh, you know, a man of miracles. And we think, yes, yeah, she's going to be healed. That's fantastic. And he's going. And there's a big crowd. But suddenly he stops. And everyone's thinking, why has he stopped? Come on, Jesus. You know, there, there's no time to lose. This, you know, a minute could make all the difference in this story. And he turns around and there's a woman there who, you know, maybe she's kind of on the floor and she's grabbed out and she's grabbed his, his cloak and he stops and he engages her and he sees that she was desperate for healing um, and she grabbed out on his cloak and said, if I could just touch the fringe of his garment, I would be healed. And she was. And he has a moment with her and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, if I was one of his disciples, I'd be like, Jesus, why, why are you messing about with this? We need to get to the... The daughter who's sick, she could die. But he was living in the present and he saw what the father was doing. And he knew that God's grace, God's miraculous power, would wait for another moment. But he was focused on what God was doing in that moment with the daughter. And there's a story in John 9 when the blind man comes to Jesus and the disciples say, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? That he's like this, that he's got this blindness. So immediately their minds are going into the past. They're trying to make it about shame or about guilt. They're saying, Jesus, something must have gone wrong. Something must have happened in the past for this to be like it is now. Explain it to us. What's going on? And he refuses to engage on that level. He says, no, forget the past. This has happened so that right now, in the present moment, God's miraculous power can be displayed. Jesus had this this razor-sharp attention to what God was doing at every moment. And he had the access to a kingdom solution. It's important to remember, I think, that although Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. I think sometimes we can either get focused on one end of that spectrum or the other and think of Jesus as this God man who's kind of floating over the ground, or we can think of him as completely human, but he was both. And I don't know if you've ever thought what it must have been like to do what Jesus did, to have the calling that was on his life, the mission that he was given by his father, and yet be completely human at the same time. Can you imagine what that must have been like? He knew the suffering that was appointed for him. You know, he'd read the prophets, he'd read the Psalms, he knew what was coming his way. The amount of times he said to his disciples, Look, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be mocked by the high priest, the religious leaders. Imagine living your life every day, getting up, doing what he did, and knowing that in about three years' time, that ordeal was waiting for you. He'd seen people crucified in Jerusalem. He'd know what crucifixion looked like. It says in Hebrews 4 that he was tempted in every way, yet without sin, as we are. So he must have struggled with those thoughts. What if I just give up? You know, what, what if I just you know, refused to go ahead with this. 
But he carried on. Healing, teaching, loving everybody that came to him, being invested in the smallest detail of the lives of the people that he was with. I used to read that passage, the the don't worry passage. I used to picture Jesus saying it almost as as Jesus is God. Uh, Like hovering above the ground, completely aloof, unaffected, saying to his disciples, guys, don't worry. Don't worry about the future. Has enough worries of its own and and having it all together. But the more I ponder it, I realize that actually Jesus was being real. He was speaking from the heart. He wasn't being aloof. He wasn't being, uh, you know, above everybody else. When he was saying tomorrow has enough worries of his own, that wasn't a theory but a daily reality. And if he didn't apply that principle to his life day in, day out, I don't think he would have been able to function. And all of this is given even greater significance when you realize just what it was that Jesus would have to endure. Picture him in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees the night that he's betrayed, just on the brink of going through all of that. And he's pleading with God. He's crying out to God. He's saying, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What was Jesus talking about? Because it wasn't actually crucifixion in that moment. As, as bad as that was, as bad as the beating, the crucifixion, the mocking was, Jesus was talking about something far worse. The thing that he was dreading, the thing that he was grappling with at that moment was the fact that he knew that on that cross he would have to bear the punishment for all of our sin. That he would have to die in our place. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We realize that Jesus' mission was to go without the presence of God for a moment so we would never have to go a moment without the presence of God in our own lives. What an amazing Savior we have. What an amazing thing he did in being faithful in that way. So when we think about accessing God's grace, his peace, his wholeness in the present, we realize that an unimaginable price was paid for that privilege. And how do we access it? We know that things didn't end on the cross. He died, but God raised him from the dead, and he lifted him up and made him Lord over everything in all creation. And if we say, Jesus, I believe that you did that for me, and I make you Lord of my life, then he says, I'm going to come and be with you and I'm never going to leave you. No matter what you go through, I will be right there with you. So where do we go from here? Well, I feel like maybe there's a few different groups that some of us may fall into this morning. Number one, maybe you're sitting here thinking, I'm torn apart with worry. Now, it sounds very dramatic, but we know the meaning of that word anxious. This could be literally like you're feeling torn apart with worry, that this is an extreme thing, this weight that you're dealing with. Or it could simply be, I just find myself flitting back and forward to the future and the past, and I'm not actually in the present. I feel like my being is is not whole and is not one. And you're looking for some of that tangible peace. 
that irene, that, that wholeness to be with you and to enable you to access what God offers for you right now in the present. Maybe you're struggling to know God's love in the present. Perhaps you feel like your present situation is so difficult that you want to escape it by chasing after things or holding on to things from the past. And you want a clearer revelation of God's truth, that he is with you, his empowering love is with you, and that is enough. That it almost doesn't matter what, how, you know, how things pan out, the fact that God is with me, the fact that his love and his presence is with me, that's enough. And that's what you want to know. And it doesn't feel like it's true now, but you want to have that revelation. Maybe you're looking for a greater sharpness. Maybe you, you're inspired by the example Jesus set of living in the present and not being distracted, but having time for people, having time for what God was saying and what he was doing. And you think, I want a bit of that. I want a bit of that sharpness. Whatever I'm doing, if I'm on the bus, I want to have that sharpness and, and listen in to what he's doing. Or maybe you've simply never invited him. You've never realized what he did for you. You never realized what he's offering to you. And you want to say, Jesus, I believe that you hung on that cross. You took my sin and my shame and my guilt. You took my future. You took my past. You bore it on yourself. And now you want to be with me forever. And you want to make him Lord of your life. So, so maybe we can just ponder those as we finish. But I don't want to live in a place where I'm, I'm always waiting for this perfect future that never arrives. Whatever the present is like, I want to live here and now. I want to agree with Jesus when he says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I don't want to be sitting on a train platform with my mind off somewhere else. But I want to ask that question of him again and again. In this moment, Lord, what would you have me do right here, right now? Thank you.